0: All right, this morning, we're going to talk about setting our sights, setting your sights on heaven, setting your sights on heaven. And our first scripture is going to be coming from Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. If you want to flip with me over there, if you want to click with me over there on your phones, Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 through 4. And here's what it says, since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven. I like this. The New Living Translation says the realities of heaven. Do you know that heaven is real? Do you know that people question that today, whether heaven's real or not? Heaven is real. Hell is real too, but we're not talking about hell this morning, okay? We're talking about heaven. Heaven is real. It says, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in place of honor at God's right hand. If we say that heaven is not real, then Christ is not real because Christ says, I'm going to prepare a place for you and uh, one day you're going to come and it's going to be ready for you when, I call, when, when your name is called. You're, you've got a place in heaven. So if we don't believe heaven's real, then Christ isn't real. He says, think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you dying to this life... Hold on. For you died to this life. What are we doing here? And your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all of his glory. I want us to to really understand and think about setting our sights on heaven this morning. You know, if we set our sights on heaven, the direction of our life, I believe, will be changed. The direction of of our life is going to be altered in a way that is miraculous, to, to say the least. Because so many people today aren't setting their sights on heaven. They're setting their sights on what's tomorrow. They're setting their sights on how much money can I make. They're setting their sights on how big of a house can I buy. They're setting their sights on what kind of car can I drive. They're setting their sights on What movie is playing tonight? You know, there's a lot of things that they're setting their sights on. But think about this. When you go to a fancy restaurant, what do you think about? What do you think about when you go to a fancy restaurant? First thing you start thinking about is, I wonder how they dress. I wonder what people are going to look like there. Why? Because you don't want to show up in shorts and a T-shirt and everybody else is in ballroom dresses. You know? Uh, A good example of this is through a a birthday party for my wife, a surprise birthday party for my wife this year, right? And there's the 40th, and so we invited a bunch of people. But what we told my wife, because I wanted her to dress up, because it's her 40th, you know, I was dressed up, suit and tie and all this, and I wanted her to dress up. And so what I told her was, we're going to this really nice restaurant, and our friends were involved in it, and telling her the same thing. We're going to this really fancy restaurant in Little Rock. So we went and bought my wife this beautiful dress. She just loved it. She says, oh, I feel like a princess. I was like, that's exactly what you need then. You know, you feel like a princess. And so we took her, and, she, and I bought that dress for her. And she's like, oh, I feel like a princess. And then she's like, oh, is this too much? She kept on asking, is this too much? I don't know. Is this too dressy for where we're going? Am I dressed up okay? Do I look all right? Is it, do you think this is okay? Why, because she was worried about it, as we would as anybody would i 'm going to a fancy restaurant. What in the world 's it going to be like, and so we imagine what it's going to be like, what the atmosphere will be you know if you go to uh, if you go to Texas Roadhouse, the atmosphere is totally different, right? people aren't dressed up, you know they're not dressed up with 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 suits and ties and stuff, no. You know, they're wearing cowboy boots and, you know, and T-shirts and shorts, and it's loud in there. But a fancy restaurant is probably a little bit quieter, you know, and everybody's all dressed up, and all the women are got, all dolled up and are pretty. And uh, when, when we look at heaven and when we begin to set our, si- our sights on heaven, what we want to begin to do is we need to start questioning what do we need to be like? What do we need to prepare for? Do you realize that down here on earth, we're preparing for heaven? Now, I'm not saying you work your way to heaven. That's not what the Scripture says. But the Bible does say that if we're saved, that people will see us, and they will know we're saved by the way we love each other. They'll know who we are. Even our Christian brothers and sisters will know who we are by the fruit that we bear. You get that? Have you ever? You know, you don't go to a fruit tree and and you go, well, th- this is a this is a peach tree, and it's got oranges on it. No, 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 it's got peaches on it. If you go to a peach tree, and it's got oranges on it. You need to start questioning. Are you? still alive, okay? Uh, Or maybe you're in Willy Wonka's Wonderland, you know, in, in a chocolate factory or something. But let me tell you something, in reality, look, he says, set your sights on the realities of heaven, that it's real. And when we begin to set our sights on the realities of heaven, that heaven is real, we start to change our view. We start to look a little bit differently. Instead of looking side to side, we start looking forward. And we start questioning and saying, where is my life and how does it line up to the realities of heaven? How does it line up to who Jesus is? You know, we want to say that we walk in the word, but do we live in the word? Do we truly live in the word? Oh, we read the scriptures, but do we believe the scriptures? You see, when we start setting our sights on the realities of heaven, we got to start saying, no, I believe this is true. I believe that he is sitting at the right hand of the Father. I believe he knows what he wants for me. And Jesus knows exactly what the place looks like. He said, he said that no eye has seen, no ear has heard what the Father has already in store for us in heaven. See, but he's up there. He knows what it looks like. He knows what it's going to be like. Now, let me ask you something. When you go to a, a fancy restaurant, you don't want to look bad? Well, let, think about it this way. Not only do, should we look at this as maybe uh, going to a fancy restaurant, but we also need to look at who we are and understand who we are in Christ, and that makes us say, wait a minute, what do we want to look like? So what do I mean by who we are in Christ? 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2 tells us, who we are in Christ he says for i am a jealous for you with the jealousy of god himself i promised you as a pure bride to one husband christ you see what he says he says i promised you a pure bride and this is paul talking he says i promised you a pure bride he says you are a bride the church is the bride of christ All right, now let me ask you something. Have you ever went to a wedding and said, oh, if you saw a a woman, saw the bride coming down down the, the middle row there and she had a dress on and she had mud stains all over it and food stains all over it and blood stains all over everything else, you'd be like, what is wrong with her? Something's going on here. But do you realize when we, we're, we're putting our sights on heaven, it makes us start to look at ourselves and say, hey, what kind of bride am I? What am I to Christ? Is my, am I putting myself in a situation where I'm getting dirty, where I'm getting filthy, where I don't look pretty anymore, where I don't look like the bride anymore? Am I going that direction? The church is the bride of Christ. If you've given your life to him. Now notice when I say the church, a lot of people think of the church today as a institution. The church is not an institution. The church is made up of everyone who has given their life to Jesus. You got that? The church is everyone who has given their life to Jesus. So today, we meet here. But there's people that are meeting down the street and down there in other churches. Did you know they're all the church of Christ. <clears throat> and as the church of Christ, they are the bride of Christ. There may be a few little, few little things that we differ on, you know, and a few, a few of our beliefs that we look at a little bit differently. But the basic beliefs that Jesus Christ is the son of God, he lived, he died a sinless life, and that he was raised the third day from the grave. And today he's seated at the right hand of the father making intercession for us. That's what the scripture says. That is all true for all of us. And as long as we have that, it doesn't matter what names above the doorway. You can have unlimited church or you can have some really long name or you can have an even shorter name, whatever it is. You can be Church of Christ, you can be Methodist, you can be Baptist, you can be Pentecostal, it doesn't matter. We're all, as long as you believe those things right there, that Jesus died and he was raised for our sins. And if you believe in him and you confess your sins to him and you ask him to come into your life, that he will change you, then he will do it. So we are all his bride. Now, like I said, when we envision a bride, we don't envision a bride walking down with a stained white dress. We envision a bride walking down with a beautiful dress, a gorgeous dress. We don't think of a bride any other way, and neither did Christ. So this is what Paul told us over here in Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 through 27, he says, For husbands, this means love your wives. Now, I'm not going to preach on this today okay but this is so good husbands you should go home and read this for husbands this means love your wives just as christ loved the church for he gave it up his life for her to make her holy and clean washed by the cleansing of god's word he did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or a wrinkle or any other blemish Instead, she will be holy and without fault. Now, I want you to understand something. When we put our realities on heaven, it doesn't mean that we're not going to make a mistake once in a while, okay? We are human. We make mistakes. And that's what the blood of Jesus is there for. The blood of Jesus comes and he washes us. And what the scripture just told us here is that Jesus gave up his life to wash us without spot, wrinkle, or blemish. You get this? This is how much the Lord loved us without spot, wrinkle, or blemish that he covered us from head to toe. And he took every sin and every wrong and everything we've ever thought about doing wrong away from us. That's what he did for us because he loved us that much. Husbands, just remember, go home and read that. There's good stuff there for you to understand how you should be for your wife. So Christ gave up his life for us so that we could be holy and clean, so that we would have no wrinkles or no blemishes. Um, The sad thing today is, many people, here's what we say. Live like you want. As long as you ask Jesus into your heart, you're fine. Do you know that's not scriptural? You know, the new term today is, well, you're on a journey. Eventually, you'll get there. You know, I've had people say, oh, you know, you need to belong before you you can belong before you believe. And I'm like, how can you belong to the church when the church is those made up of people who have given their life to Christ? I'm not saying you can't come to church. I'm not saying you can't come to the building. I'm not saying you can't come to a prayer meeting and to a Bible study. But how can you belong to the bride, uh, belong and be a part of the bride of Christ before you believe? It's impossible. It is impossible, but instead, when we believe, we then belong, and when we believe, then Jesus comes in and he washes us clean, but it does not give us a reason or an excuse to live our life outside the bounds of what he wants us to live like. I know that it's not the coolest, most hip thing in the United States today to say that we should have a life of holiness. And I'm not talking about, ladies, you have to wear your dresses down to your, knee, to, to your, to your ankles and you can't wear makeup. You know, that, that's legalism. That's not holiness, okay? There's two different things there. Now, if that's the way you want to live, that's fine. I don't have any problem with it. My wife grew up in some of that stuff, and, and she was delivered from it. So it was, that legalism was just, it was very hurtful. And, and you know what? Legalism doesn't get us to Christ. And A lot of times legalism drives us away from Christ because Christ isn't a legalistic person. He wants us to love him because we love him. We talked about this this morning about worshiping and praising him. We have been created to have a relationship. Husbands, just as a side note, your bride is not there for you to control. Your bride is there for you to love. And you want her to reciprocate that love back to you voluntarily not out of compulsion but because you loved her. See Christ loved us so much he died for us wouldn't we want to to submit ourselves back to him? Wouldn't we want to say, "Hey, wait a minute. You know what? I don't want to continue living in sin. I want to change." And when we do mess up and when we do sin, it's going to drive us to our knees and it's going to drive us to repentance and say, Oh, God, I'm so sorry. Jesus, I'm so sorry that I said this. I'm so sorry that I did this. Will you correct my life? Will you make me fresh again? See, that's what Jesus wants to do for us. Because he loved us so much, as long as we come back to him, he wants to do the same for us because he wants us to live a life that is righteous in front of him. The the word of God says that we should work out our righteousness, our our salvation. Work out our salvation. Work it out. What does that mean? It means that it is a process. But I don't believe it's a journey like I said a minute ago. I believe that when you come to Christ, well, I think I've asked this question before. Anybody read the Pilgrim's Progress or watched the movie? All right. i got one or two people here. All right. It's good, all right? You should read it or watch the movie, okay? It's a classic. But in The Pilgrim's Progress, the the man comes to the cross and he lays down all that he has. Okay? All the things that are on him, he he gives it he he lays it down. That's what we do when we come to Christ, we lay it all down. Now, in The Pilgrim's Progress on his way to heaven, he makes some mistakes. He takes some wrong some wrong roads. He gets lured over by this a little bit and lured over by that. But the thing is, is he always comes back to the point that he gets to heaven. All right? And so when we look at this, when we come to Christ, we are a new creature. The Bible says, Behold, all things have become new. The old has passed away. We're no longer. When we baptize somebody, what are we saying when we baptize them? We're not saying, Well, you know, eventually. No, when we baptize them, we're saying the old man has passed just like Jesus. He died and he he was resurrected. The old man has passed. You're coming up a new person. You're you're declaring to everyone around you that I have made a commitment to Christ, that I am now a new creature. Behold, all these things have passed away, and I have become new. That's what we do. That's what we do. Um, Now let's let's look in uh, Colossians chapter 3, verse 5 through 10, to to make this point that I'm trying to tell you here. That when we come to Christ, that we're the bride of Christ, that we want our lives to change. So here's what he says. He continues on. Now remember, we started in Colossians at the very first there. And he says, since you've been raised to new life in Christ, then set your realities on heaven. So set your sights on heaven. And so here's what he says. So put to death the sinful, earthly things lurking within you. Now notice you have to do that. You have to do that. You have to make a conscious decision to do that. You don't come, you know, there, there's been something, and I, I'm, I'm not saying that this, this is specifically wrong, but there has been this, this preaching in the United States for a long time, and it was done a lot of kids crusades, and probably you've heard it, you know, I want to give you, you want to give your heart to Jesus. You want to ask Jesus into your heart. And so you know, it used to be the in the kids' crusades they'd call people up on the platform and you'd sing a little song, you know, and then they would say, "Who wants to give their heart to Jesus?" And everybody, oh, I want to do that. I want to give my heart to Jesus. And they would do that. And then years down the road, the problem with that has been is years down the road they say, "Oh, well, I gave my heart to Jesus, but you ain't living like it. You ain't living like it. Do you even know what that means?" Well, I went to a kid's crusade when I was five years old. Or I, uh, It's written in my Bible. It says right here, I gave my heart to Jesus. Well, who wrote it there? Is that what is written on your heart? That your heart is Jesus's? So I try very hard not to use that terminology, and here's why. I like to use the terminology giving my life to Jesus. Because I'm giving my whole self to him. I'm turning it over. We heard just a couple of weeks ago, we heard Robert's testimony of when he came to Christ back in his 20s and how he how he just radically transformed him from being a person who had dealt with prison and drugs and, and all the things of the world. You know, the prodigal son testimony, right? Same thing. Away knew who God was, but left God and came back. And that's, that's what I'm talking about, giving our life to Christ. So he says, put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. And here's something, folks, here's something. We need to look at this. We need to think about this because it is per- pervasive today in society. The things that are that are listed in here are pervasive. You have to be more and more careful. You know, my girls would love to be on Instagram right now because they have uh, friends on Instagram. They've got other Christian groups on Instagram, and I won't let them on Instagram. And I won't let them on Facebook, and I won't let them on Twitter, and I won't let them on everything else, you know, uh, everything else that you click on. Why? Because it's very dangerous. It's very, very dangerous, and I always encourage, and I'll preach it. I don't care if people get offended. I'm going to preach it and teach it. Keep your kids off of social media, okay? Keep them off of social media. It is very harmful for them, very, very harmful. And I'm not saying that's what the studies have shown. It's very, very harmful. Uh, So he says, uh, have nothing to do with what? Here's some listings. Sexual immorality. Notice he didn't name one. He says sexual immorality. So let's just be, put a big old circle around it. Okay? And I don't want to get in all the different sexual immorality that's out there. I think most of us probably know a few in our mind right now. If you know it, then stay away from it, okay? And if you don't know it, let some and somebody tells you, you better stay away from it. He says, stay away. You want to know why? You want to know why he says, listen to this, I want you to hear this, Did you know when we talk about staying away from sexual immorality, he says there's one sin that is inside the body and all of the sins are outside the body, he says sexual sin is inside the body, okay? It is something so holy to God, he had an intention for it, and that his intention is between one man and one woman, that is what God wants, okay and when we change that up and when we when we reverse that then we're going against God's will okay one man one woman married is the way God wants it that's just the word that's not me that's just the word so he says do have nothing to do with sexual immorality impurity now listen there's a lot of impure stuff out there okay let me let me ask you question yourself what are you watching on tv what are you putting in your heart? You know, I've had to do this. And it's, it's harder today than it was. I remember a, few, a number of years back, I got really convicted of this a number of years ago. And I, I went and got rid of a bunch of DVDs. Well, now it's streaming everywhere for free. Now it's even more difficult because I can just turn on. I don't even have Netflix anymore. I don't have Hulu anymore. Uh, but I have YouTube TV. Just, that's just for NASCAR, though, okay? So uh, forgive me. But still, there's available, okay? That stuff's available to watch, and you need to question. You need to start asking yourself, "What am I watching?" Now, if you got right now media, there's a lot of good stuff on there that you can watch. You don't have to worry about it, okay? That's just a just a shameless little plug there for you. That it's cost you anything at all. But what I'm saying is, what are you watching? This is the thing. What are you listening to? What's going in your ears? And I'm not saying that you got to listen to worship music all day long, but let me question, what do the words of the songs that you're listening to say? Are they talking about cheating on your spouse? Are they talking about doing drugs? Are they talking about something else? And why are we putting that impurity into our heart and into our life? Let me help you understand something. Music is the key to the soul. Why do you think music's the most popular thing in the United States? Think about how much money is spent on music in the United States. Think about how much I pay for a Spotify account. Thankfully, I can have like six people on it, so um, it's a whole family thing. But you know, when I used to Uber drive, just the amount of people that would go to these concerts and spend all this money to go hear these people at these concerts, and I knew what these people were singing about. Healthy, good, mm. So these are things to think about. What are you listening to? Like I said, you don't have to listen to worship music all day long, but you need to think about what's the impurity. Stay away from, he says, have nothing to do with it. How about lust or evil desires? Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater worshiping the things of this world. He says, because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. Now, notice, in the last days, the Bible says that the wrath of God is going to be poured out. During the great tribulation, I've told you all this a few times, and eventually we'll get into some, some, uh, uh, get into some of that revelation stuff. But the wrath of God is coming, but it's not for those who believe, okay? That's not what the wrath of God, the wrath of God is coming because of the sin. He says because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. He never had any intention. He never had any intention of Adam and Eve sinning. Did God know they were going to sin? God knows everything. Okay? God knows everything. But He didn't want them to sin. He had no intention of it. He didn't force them to sin. He didn't ask them to sin. But they did anyway. And because of that, we know what happened. Remember the flood and Noah and the big ark? What happened there? Well, there's going to be even more disaster that comes to us because of the sin that is in this world. And it's getting more and more pervasive. You used to do these things when your life was still a part of the world. So notice. This is past tense. You used to do it. And now that you're saved, now that Jesus has come into your life and he has covered you and washed you white as snow, no longer do you do that. You're not doing that anymore because he said you used to because you were still a part of this world. But now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malice, behavior, slander, and dirty language. Folks, let me tell you something check your language. Check your language. It's amazing what comes out of some people's mouth who calls themselves Christians. It's amazing what comes out of mouths of people who call themselves. Check your language. Oh, well, you know, I even talked to somebody not too long ago, and I'm, I'm my language, I work pretty hard at not using a, a, a bunch of other language out there because you never know what it really means to somebody else, okay? And I always say this, the word that you're using, what is it replacing? And if you're using it to replace another word, then aren't you just really wanting to say the other word, but you know that wouldn't be right. So question that. I say, watch your language. Say, is my language wholesome? Is my language uplifting? Is my language encouraging to other people? Am I a positive influence in my language on other people? So watch your dirty language there, okay? Think about it. Pray about it. Ask God, hey, God, check me on this. Check me on this. I want people, listen, the reason uh, so many times that people that are non-Christians will know who you are is because they're going to be listening and going, wait a minute, I didn't hear them use anything like this. And, man, the way they talk is so to the point. And, man, why? Because the Bible says don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Only that that edifies It says, don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and its wicked deeds. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. So as we become like the bride of Christ, these things are going to change in our lives, right? We're going to change in our lives. People are going to see a new person, a new creature. They're going to see something new about us. I'm sure you could ask Robert, the people he used to hang out with after he got saved, I'm sure they, those same people were like, whoa, wait a minute. Something's changed with this dude. Something is different. There's an old song uh, by Petra, which was a Christian rock band, but back in, when they first started, they did some bluegrass and uh, some funny stuff. But they had a song called Lucas McGraw, and in the song he says, "What, Lucas McGraw, what's come over you? We're beginning to think you're touched. Heard you got religion, ain't seen you around much. And it goes through all the things that they used to do together, and he's not there to do it with them anymore. And he's going home to his wife and doing all these things. See, things change when we come to Christ and we set our sights on heaven. Things are going to change in us. Now let's finish up with Colossians chapter 3, verse 12 through 15. He says, and so since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourself with tenderhearted mercy. This is what I love about the Lord. He didn't say, don't, 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 don't. See, everybody thinks the Bible just says, no, 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 don't do this. Don't do this and don't do that. No, the Bible also tells us what to do. He says, "He says, here's what you must clothe yourself with tenderhearted mercy with kindness, with humility, with gentleness, with patience. He says, make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. That's a hard thing to do. Notice, he didn't say forget. And I'll tell you, anybody tells you forget, and you go, I can't forgive because I can't forget. No, you can forgive, and you may remember what they did. Corey ten Boom was able to forgive. Cor Boone was the one. She was in a concentration camp, and she saw her family murdered and killed by the, and, and, and abused by these these guards. And the guard came up to her. she was going around doing speaking tours, and a guard a, a man come up to her. And as soon as, she, as soon as he walked up to her, he didn't know that she remembered him and remembered who he was. And he come up and he stuck his hand out and he said, he said, you know. I was a guard in one of those camps, and she already knew this. She said, I was a guard in one of those camps, and I've given my life to Christ, and I'm so glad to know that you can forgive. And she said it was at that moment that she had come. She didn't forget what he had done, but it was at that moment she froze, and she had to really think about, had she really forgiven this guy? And then she reached and grabbed his hand in forgiveness. And she felt the love of God. Okay? So it's not that you're going to forget, okay? It's that you're able to forgive even though you know what happened. That's a difference. That's the difference. Forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Why should I forgive? Because he forgave us. Why are we doing this? Because we're setting our sights on heaven. What is heaven like? What does God want in a bride? What does Jesus want us to look like when when he calls that, that day? When he comes down and he calls us up and, and, the, and the, the trump of the Lord is sounded and the, those who are alive and remain will be caught up to meet him in the air and those who are dead will, will come up and will caught up to meet him in the air. What, is, what does he want us to look like? Do we want to come with filthy and, and ugly or do we want to come ready to be received by the husband, by Christ. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony, and let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. Set your sights on heaven. When you walk and when you, when you go through through this day and through this week and the next month and the rest of this year, Begin to set your sights on heaven. When things get difficult, set your sights on heaven and go, wait a minute. This is what the bridegroom looks like. This is what the bridegroom is wanting. This is what he told me in Colossians. This is what he said in Ephesians and in many, many other verses of Scripture here. But this is what he says he's wanting. A bride that that is cleansed and ready for him. A bride that cares. Husbands, that those of you, that you were married, you didn't want a bride who, who came down the aisle and says, oh, yeah, well, <laughs> look at what she's been doing the last week. Look at all the bad things she's been doing the last week. You no, know, that's not what you wanted. Instead, what is the semblance of that white gown walking down the aisle? that symbolizes the purity of that person walking down the aisle the purity of that person walking down the aisle to the husband to the to the to the fiance who's going to be the husband saying that's my bride she has decided to make herself a part of me and so she comes down in purity and when we look and we put our sights on heaven and we think about it like this we're the bride we set our sights on heaven. That is the bridegroom. And we're walking down the aisle. This is our walk down the aisle. What do we want when we get to that, to the end of that aisle and we put our hands in Jesus' hands that day? And those hands are scarred, nail scarred. What do we want? Do we want to say, well, you know, God, this is the way I lived all my life, and but, you know, you forgive me. Or we want to go, man, Jesus, I know I messed up up a little bit here and there, but I worked really hard at putting myself in a position to be a beautiful bride for you. I set my sights on heaven. That's what we need to do. Let's pray.